So, let's, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are starting off this new year by walking through the Beatitudes, taking a break, as it were, before, uh, uh, from our series on the Psalms, although as my dad recently pointed out, there's still plenty of the Psalms in the sermon. He's like, you can't stay away from the Psalms, and no, I can't. I'm not good at staying away from the Psalms, so... Um, so yes, yeah, good, thank you, I appreciate that, thank you, God be praised. Uh, so let's start in Matthew chapter 5 then, it's beginning at verse 1, and we'll go to verse 5, which is the uh, central text for the sermon this morning. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the word of God, and again we say, thanks be to God. So by way of introduction or by way of reminder, I mean, you can listen to the audio Bible later. It's good. It's a good habit. I love it. Uh, by way of reminder, you start in the Beatitudes with the poor in spirit. That is someone who knows their own spiritual poverty. I know my own need. Uh, Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. From there, when you get a sense of your own spiritual poverty, the, the, the right reaction is to mourn over it. Once you get a sense of your own spiritual need and even emptiness, you say, Lord, help me. Blessed are those who, uh, are, who, who are poor in spirit, who know their own poverty of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And now we arrive at blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we move from... Uh, a state of a state of your your spirit, poverty of spirit, poor in spirit, to then the the if you like, uh, it's a, a small way of saying it, the the emotional reaction at the very least to that poverty of spirit. Lord, help me. And now we're moving into kind of the attitude or the the way of things, if you like, that that kind of shapes your life after these two things are in play, the uh, the poverty of spirit and mourning over it. That meekness is to follow, which is. I'll start you off with a a very small definition, appropriately. Meekness is just a sense of your own smallness before God Almighty, okay? So think of, uh, I mean, again, I think the best picture of all three of these is the prophet Isaiah, when he's brought into the heavenly throne room, and his reaction is to say, woe is me, right? I'm a man of unclean lips, poverty of spirit. The woe is me, mourning, and... And, and again, what that requires is an attitude of, of, of meekness before the Lord. Isaiah is not coming in saying, oh yes, this is the throne room of the Lord. I think I shall put my feet up. Let me talk to you for just a moment though about meekness. And I'm going to start off this sermon basically the same way every other pastor starts off a sermon on this text, which is to talk about what meekness is not. What meekness is not is it's not weakness. It's very easy linguistically because the two words sound the same and sometimes might even look the same that we might conflate them. But there couldn't be a worse definition for meekness than weakness. Maybe that's not true. Maybe we could think of some worse ones, but it's pretty bad. Sometimes when we hear the word meek, we are tempted to think of a mousy little person who is constantly apologizing for the air they are breathing. They are certainly gentle, but it's because they couldn't hurt a fly even if they wanted to. A fly would laugh. Even the flies bully them. 
I remember once a wise man observed that there's a big difference between doing no harm and posing no threat. Doing no harm is only noble if you could actually do harm in the first place. That gets us a little closer to what meekness actually means. So what, so what is it then, positively? One of the best images I think I've ever heard of to define meekness would be a bridled war horse. If we can go on to that next slide, please, Jeremiah. A, kind of, a, a bridled war horse, okay? Mighty and powerful. In battle, a force to be reckoned with. But he has a bridle, which means that his master, the guy who's riding the horse, can turn him in the appropriate direction and say, whoa, and make him stop, and say, charge, and make him run faster. If the war horse was charging into battle, mad and crazy and panicky, and lost his cool, and went berserk, and just started charging everywhere in every which direction, would he still be considered strong? Well, sure. He has a lot of strength. Tell it to the people on the ground as he runs over them. But he has no control over his passions, or you might say his emotions. More on that in a moment. In other words, he would be strong, but not meek. Uh, Expressions of strength, but under no control. Another example would be that of a black belt in karate or a martial art. I remember when I was taking a martial art class in my 20s that the instructor used to tell us that if you made it all the way to a black belt, you were actually more legally vulnerable in a use of force situation. What that meant is that if some stranger at a restaurant insults you and takes a swing at you, and you've got a black belt, and you respond by beating the absolute snot out of him, even as he's screaming out, I'm sorry, and trying to get away, you can be charged with a crime. Part of you is like, well, but he started it. Yeah, I mean, you might, you might at first think, if you're going to act like a fool, maybe you should bleed like a fool. And Part of me understands that sentiment, but the idea here is that if you've mastered the art such that you have a black belt, if you've been entrusted with that kind of skill and power, part of the training is the ability to control yourself, to be master over your own actions, and perhaps more importantly, your reactions. In other words, if you have a black belt in a martial art, the law expects that meekness is part of your training. So the meek man is not a weak man. He is a strong man who is in control of himself. After all, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. He is especially in control of his passions, which is an old word. We don't really use it the way uh, they they did sort of in olden days. Uh, When we use the word passion today, we don't often mean much beyond romance, but the old use of the word passions referred to uncontrolled emotions. So that could be anger, or panic, or sorrow even. But when the Bible speaks of having your passions under control, basically what we're being taught is that we should have our, our emotions, and especially our reactions, again, under control. This is what Proverbs 29.11 is talking about. There we read that a fool gives full vent to his spirit. I'm just venting, right? But a wise man quietly holds it back. Now, this is not to say that a meek person is cold or unfeeling. This is not a call to emotionless stoicism. That's its own kind of weakness, actually. But meekness does mean that a man's emotions don't own him. They don't run him, you might say. 
The meek person determines how they will respond to stressful or frightening situations and don't get led around by every random spasm of emotion. In short, the meek man, like the war horse or like the black belt, has been trained to have mastery over his passions. So, we come to the question then, why does our Lord value this? And then a second question, why does, why does He offer to them or promise them the blessing of inheriting the earth? Well, let's start with the first one. Why does Jesus value this? The answer is because God had already declared that He valued it. It's almost an exact quotation of uh, verse 11 of Psalm 37. I want to start by reading the, the first part of, of Psalm, uh, Psalm 37, verses 1 through 11. So at the end, we'll get to uh, w- the verse Jesus is quoting. But I want the whole context of it so you can get a sense of why, why meekness is on the table. And I think it's even going to do a, a, a beautiful job clarifying what biblical Christian meekness is. So let's go there now. Psalm 37, a psalm of David. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That should sound familiar. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land. The word can also be translated earth. And delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, I don't mean to insult your reading comprehension, but did you hear the theme? It was in almost every single verse from 1 to 11. It is, why are you worried about the wicked and their wickedness? Almost every verse, 1 through 11, is some variation on that. Why do you get mad and lose control of yourself when you see wickedness or ungodliness or unfaithfulness around you? Do you not realize... That's not you being valiant. That's wicked men controlling you. Right? So again, think back to the first part of the Beatitudes. I'm poor in spirit, and I'm mourning over it, and I might be tempted because I'm mourning and and being comforted. That's all well and good to have just unbridled emotional responses to the poverty of spirit I see around me and in me. Right? here's Here's the fence, if you like, that Jesus builds around around how we are to to engage with with the life of of poverty of spirit people, being poverty of spirit people, controlling your outbursts. So what what Psalm 37 is getting at is like, you have outbursts of anger uh, at, at wickedness, uncontrolled, unfettered, unbounded, and you think you're righteous for it, joke's on you. Psalm 37 is this bell toll over and over again. Don't let fear and anxiety rule your heart. Don't let your frustration over wickedness of the world run your heart. You know where that's going to end up? Go back to verse 2. For they will soon fade 
like the grass and wither like the green herb, the wicked will. That's, that's your hope. That's where you're banking your hope against the anxiety and the fear. Do you know where the wicked are going to end up? They're going to be like dead grass. Now, this is not a call, by the way, to like some sort of radical passivity, which I think is, can be too common even in, uh, in reform circles. We think of meekness like peace and passivity. Well, you know, whatever happens, happens. God is sovereign. What are you going to do? Right? It's not say, Psalm 37 is not saying don't care about the wickedness around you. Don't care about the injustice around you. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Okay, that's already, that's three active, not passive postures right there. Trust in the Lord. Do good. I would add parenthetically because the best way to combat wickedness around you is to do good. And practice faithfulness. That is faithfulness, obedience to God's word, obedience to what God has said. Make, make faithfulness your friend in the land. Nothing about that sounds passive or careless, does it? This is an active cultivation in, in, in your own heart, in the hearts of your family, in the hearts of your church, in the hearts of your neighbors, so on and so on. And meanwhile, the psalmist says, you see the wicked carrying on? You see them living without care or fear? You see them acting like they own the place? You won't. Soon enough. So our definition of meekness is starting to take shape. I asked you to move to the next one. First, here's, a, here's I'm going to kind of give you four points to, to bring together for a coherent definition. Meekness is solid confidence in God no matter what's going on. Solid confidence in God and a peace that you get not from the condition of your circumstances, which might be terrifying, but rather from, from the promises of the one who doesn't change, who sees all, who's working all things together for our good. A solid confidence in God no matter what's going on. And then secondly, a refusal to lash out when provoked. A refusal to lash out when provoked. In other words, not being like the wicked who we just heard about in Psalm 37. If, you look, if we uh, go back to verse 12, actually, we got as far as verse 11. But if we go to the very next verse, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, right? That's a biblical expression about like clenching up your face in anger. Like when a toddler goes, right? That's, that's gnashing of teeth. And so you, you have the wicked are actually so much for, so much for being anxiety-free and not worried. They're, they're trying to plan and plot and they're full of anger and suspicion and the wicked plot and they get all worked up. They get anxious and frustrated. And work. Meanwhile, the Lord... Sorry, I don't think I have verse... Do I have verse 13 next? So the wicked are gnashing their teeth. Is that the next one? Nope, I'm sorry. But, but the very next verse is the Lord laughs at them. Think of Psalm 2. Right? They get anxious, frustrated, worked up, worried. Meanwhile, the Lord is the one laughing at them. So you see, the meek person refuses to let others work him into a state of anxiety, as best he can, of course. Why? Not just because he's so strong against anxiety. That's not going to work. To fight anxiety, you have to bank your hope on something stronger than your fear. 
So the reason why the meek man doesn't get worked into a state of anxiety and fear by the wicked is because he already knows the future and the promises of God, namely that the people of God will inherit the land. So you see this connection. Blessed is the meek. Blessed is the man who's unworried by the seeming progress and triumph of the wicked. Why? Because the meek will inherit the earth. And so we, we, we see here, I think, a reminder that the Lord cares. I mean, the Lord cares about our emotions. The Psalms are proof of that. He cares what we do with our emotions. So, so as a body, it's important for us as we think about how we act and how we react to all the things in our life that, that not to... Um, if, if, if your passion is unbridled, my encouragement to you is not to excuse that under the heading of some aspect of your personality. Right? If you want to put it under the heading of personality, say, my personality is that my particular weakness and sin is that my passions are unbridled. And then go to work on it by the mercy and grace of God, by confessing it to brothers and sisters, by hearing that your sins are forgiven, by coming to the table, right? And the Lord who, who feeds and sustains you so you can fight against it. So, got two things so far. Go to the next one, please. Yeah, yeah. Solid confidence in God, not lashing out when provoked. Put positively, it's steadiness. I think that's the best word I can... The, the, the meek person is steady, patient, charitable, even when wronged. Doesn't rush to defend himself against every foul word. Remember, Charles Spurgeon said something like, don't be angry at a man when he thinks ill of you, because you're worse. <laughs> you know, when somebody thinks ill of you, just, just take heart. You're a lot worse than whatever they've got constructed. <laughs> it's, it's liberating. It's really freeing. That means you have to have a teachable spirit, though. I think that's, that's part of meekness. Having a teachable spirit, you're not easily moved to insecurity or self-defensiveness. Summarize negatively. So positively, the meek man is a steady man. To put it negatively, not easily offended. Not easy to offend would be the meek person. Not easy to provoke. Look at Psalm 38. That's our next text. Psalm 38. Those who seek my life lay their snares. So wickedness again, wicked men at work. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. You notice that the wicked in the Psalms are very careful planners. I'm just saying. But I am like a deaf man. I don't hear him. Like a mute man who doesn't open his mouth. Right? Say your worst, do your worst. I am not bothered. That's meekness. Proverbs 19.11 Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. That's a good verse for marriage, y'all. It is glory to overlook an offense. Keep short accounts with one another. That's a whole whole different marriage sermon. But in one sentence, it is keep short accounts, husbands and wives. But let me ask you, does that sound like weakness? Go back to uh, the Psalm 38 text, if you would, please, Jeremiah. Right? They're, they're planning, they're scheming, they're speaking of my ruin and death and planning for it, but I don't hear them. Does that sound like weakness to you? No, it sounds like steadiness. Trust in God. It, it also sounds, again, like being teachable. So if you want a model for meekness, I'm going to offer to you, there, there are two people in the Bible, I think, provide us a 
Uh, great models for meekness, one better than the other. If you're really sharp, you can probably tell who the second one will be. But let me start with Numbers 12. Numbers 12.3 tells us something about Moses. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. What an accolade, right? And what do we learn about Moses? Let's think about that. Moses was a model for meekness. If you ever needed proof that meekness doesn't mean weakness, think about Moses. This is the guy who brought down Pharaoh, who wrecked a superpower, who marched an entire nation through the Red Sea, who led them through the wilderness 40 years, who dared to stand between the people and God when God said, I'm going to wipe them out, get out of my way. That's meekness for you. Second example is Jesus. In Matthew 11:29, I'm going to use the King James here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. Think about this list that we talked about earlier, the, the four points I gave you earlier moving toward a definition of meekness. One of the things you notice about Jesus pretty quick is that when other people came to him to try to get a rise out of him, to try to trick him into something, tried to stir him up so he would make a mistake, tried to offend him, he remained even keeled. And he had an answer for them. Now some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, what about that time <laughs> that Jesus walked into the temple, made a whip of cords, turned over the tables, and drove all the merchants out? That is a text that deserves its own sermon, but suffice it to say that while the moment was an action and indeed a reaction, it was not an overreaction. Matthew even quotes at that point, I don't have it on the, the screen for you, but, but Matthew quotes Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. To make sure you understand that Jesus' reaction to what he's seeing is powerful, but it's perfectly sound. In other words, if there's anything you ought to be passionate about, it's the proper worship of God. In other words, it's not the meek man, it's not that the meek man never gets angry. Okay? It's not that the meek man never gets angry. It is that the meek man, when he gets angry, gets angry at the right things, to the right level, and for the right amount of time. Now, I read that to you as one who trembles to read it, not as one who says, oh yeah, that's a perfect representation of my life right now. You can ask my wife, that's exactly how she'll describe me. No, I hope she'll describe me as one who fights for it every day. But how, how, can, how can you possibly even hope to practice life in this way, to, to, to behave in this way? Well, you have to have your, your conscience rooted in what righteousness actually is. Because when, when you get really angry at, at something or at someone, you feel really righteous, right? I mean, otherwise you wouldn't be getting... If, if you've been offended, you feel really righteous in that moment. But what does James tell us? Go to the next one, please. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, the meek man doesn't lose control of himself. But that doesn't mean he doesn't show anger when God is blasphemed. It doesn't mean he doesn't show anger when babies are murdered or when women are abused and dishonored. 
So much for meekness then. All right. Let's return to our text. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's talk about that second part. Jesus here is speaking to a universal condition of heart. Perhaps I might argue that we see most clearly among the wicked and the powerful, and the powerful who are wicked. That is, all human authorities have something in common. They want the earth. They want the future to belong to them. And as we walk through life in this world, it is not hard to observe that wicked and powerful men want to build a kingdom to honor themselves. When we see that, we look around, we see the wicked prospering, we are tempted to despair. When we see seeming powers assembling, evil men getting together and making plans as they do, when we see wickedness multiplying and a generation being deceived, we are tempted to despair. In moments like those, dear saints, beatitudes like this are like the banner that waves over our army. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not, by the way, not they shall inherit heaven. Okay? Right? So, so kingdom of heaven was the first beatitude. This is talking about the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Not they shall become owners of spiritual real estate in their hearts. <laughs> they shall inherit the earth. Why? Because they have a share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ, who is, by the way, the true paragon of meekness. It was to the resurrected Son, Jesus Christ, that the Father said in Psalm 2, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. Ask of me and I will make the nations, the whole world, your inheritance. And in Psalm 22, we read this promise that we are looking forward to, beloved. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. Why? For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Do you see? Christ did not die and rise again in order just to, just to claim real estate in your heart. He came for every square inch of the earth itself. The Apostle Paul actually uses this argument when he tells the Corinthians that Christians shouldn't take each other to court. Yeah? 1 Corinthians 6, listen to what he says. Just threw some of you a curveball. Maybe that'll help you wake up. He says, when he has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And you kind of want to go, no. (laughs) Could you give us a little more information about that, please? I was not aware of that, actually. Do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, stay out of the pagan law courts with your brothers precisely because you're heirs of the world. The sons and daughters of God, the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ the King are going to own it all one day. You are right now in training to inherit the earth. So are you really going to let some petty squabble between you and your brother be judged by the pagans for heaven's sake? You see, one of the most under-talked about aspects in Christianity is that Jesus comes as the King and he's on a mission to conquer all of the nations. 
We mean for the nations to worship Jesus. That is our mission. That is our target. And we're not going to rest until we see the goal accomplished. We are 2,000 years in. And beloved, we are just getting started. Jesus Christ, the very model of meekness, comes to his disciples after his resurrection. And he says, do you remember? All authority in heaven and earth has been given for go and disciple the nations. And you know what's wild? They did it. Not, not all the nations in the sense of every territory on planet earth, that mission yet remains. But the world as far as they knew it? The Roman Empire? Yeah. Within a few generations, the whole of the Roman Empire had, had majority been converted and baptized. The gladiatorial games in the Colosseum were shut down. Prostitution as a business struggled to stay alive. Pagan sacrifices stopped. Infanticide became a shameful memory. And not stopped by the long arm of some new political party. How did it happen? It happened because the early Christians knew that the meek will inherit the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine telling a... Let's, let's say, let's, if we could get in our uh, time machine DeLorean, if we could get in Doc's DeLorean and go to 60 AD, so that's post-resurrection, but pre-destruction of Jerusalem, and we find a, a, a new convert to Christianity, imagine trying to tell him all that's going to happen. Right? In 10 years, Jerusalem's going to fall. God's going to judge Jerusalem for their unbelief. The temple is going to be in ruins. And then what's going to happen? Oh, you know, this little backwater denomination following a resurrected Jewish carpenter is going to conquer the Roman Empire in a few generations. I can imagine that fellow in 60 AD laughing and saying, that is a nice idea, but Jesus is just Lord of my heart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what does Jesus mean to do here in our own backyard? Amen. Yes and amen. Did you read my notes? <laughs> If Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, by the, by the word of the preaching of the gospel, can spread like that at that point in history to that extent, do you think he can handle Rapides Parish, beloved? Do you think he can handle Rapides Parish? Can he not make this city into a place where people want to live rather than where people want to leave? Can he not make this into a place where we aren't afraid of having our doors unlocked? Can he not restore broken families and win back the hearts of innumerable fatherless children? Can he not rebuild and redeem families and churches, even a local economy for heaven's sakes? Can he not bring shalom and flourishing here? Can he not? Do you have the faith to even ask for it? He can. But such an inheritance is only promised to the meek. So how do we attain to meekness? Jesus invites us to seek it and to have it. Blessed are they. If anyone asks us to trade our meekness for the world's version of strength, we would respond, I wouldn't trade meekness for the whole world because that's exactly what I've been promised, by the way. Why would I trade for what I already have? Jesus then is where we find, again, our model for this meekness. And he is the one we seek to imitate. How is our Savior meek? Well, remember, he submitted to the cross. 
without any hint of whining or complaining. How could he manage that? How, how is it, where did Jesus find, if you like, the, the heavenly resources to practice meekness? Yes, he was God the Son, but where did his strength come from? Well, remember back in Psalm 37, where you have this picture of meekness as being unrattled by the wicked? How is it that Jesus could go to the cross with such quiet, dignified steel? It is because he found the source of strength that all the meek have. Namely, they've read the last chapter of the story and they know how this thing all ends. Christ submitted to the cross knowing the promises of his Father and that the vindication was coming. Knowing the end of the story is what enabled his meekness. So when you pray, let your kingdom come. You're proclaiming the end of the story. When you pray that Jesus Christ, by His own Word and Holy Spirit, would redeem us, would redeem our families, would redeem our neighborhoods, would redeem our city and our parish, where do you get that kind of hope? You get it from the fact that Rapides Parish already belongs to Jesus. It's already His. This is why it is so unseemly and that's a nice way to put it, when Christians desperately chase after political power and claw at it because Christ already owns it. Why are you acting like he doesn't? You see, the opposite of meekness isn't strength. The opposite of meekness is desperate, clawing anxiety. And that is not our way. We are the armies of God marching forward with a proclamation to the nations. Not with carnal weapons or swords or guns, but with the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God and the glory of the Gospel that delivers full forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Because only forgiven men can be meek and fearless. What will the work in the, in the meanwhile look like? I'll be honest, I often don't know. I think it, it begins in small ways with this, I mean, some of the stuff we're doing for the, uh, for, for the uh, foster care facility. Thing, things that we can participate in in our moment, like the March of Life. And look, sometimes God revives and reforms a region or a city in like a fell swoop. He, he sends one man to do a great work of transformation, like a, like a Knox or a Calvin. More often, though, God delights to work through families and churches and generations to transform a people over the course of time. It's actually where the word Godspeed comes from. Moving at Godspeed. Like leaven working its way through a loaf. And Jesus said that's what the kingdom of heaven was like. So, the call to be meek is a call to be at peace. I hope you saw that in the last part of Psalm 37, 11. It was the meek shall inherit the earth because of the abundance of peace. Not the passive peace of a couch potato, oh, it'll all be fine. But the active peace of the armies of God that already know they're going to win so no temporary setback can discourage them. Their captain is their Lord and Master and Savior and brother, Jesus Christ, and He means to inherit the earth. Lead on, O King Eternal, till sin's fierce war shall cease and holiness shall whisper the sweet amen of peace. For not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drums, with deeds of love and mercy, the heavenly kingdom comes. In the name of Jesus, 
Amen.